Good evening, and thank you for sharing your Tuesday night with me. The topic tonight is happiness at workplace, and most Americans spend most of our waking hours at work. So, work really、uh, give us an opportunity to continue our practice and training of the cushion. And bring them into work with us, and I think that it's wonderful to bring these wholesome state of mind that we're cultivating while we're meditating to our workplace, because I think it is these states of mind that can transform our work. Into a happier and more rewarding experience, and without, you know, these tools from our meditation toolboxes, the ups and downs of office politics and interpersonal dynamics can influence an untrained mind in adverse ways. And let me give you an example. Anne is a young investment banker at a law firm, firm, where the corporate culture is characterized by fierce competition, subterfuge, and resentment. She feels her office is a place where the loudest and the most underhanded person wins. She tries to leave the anger and fear that comes with her job at work, but she finds herself taking it out on her family when she goes home. Unfortunately, this scenario is all too common. Before I talk about the specific tools from our practice that we can take to work with us. I just want to remind everybody that it's called a practice for a reason. Just like any skills, we get better with practice. And so, please don't be discouraged or be critical of yourself if the first three or ten times you try, it did not work out the way you hoped. Just be aware of what happened. And maybe reflect on how you might do something differently the next time, and be willing to start anew. It's just like when we're meditating, and we become aware that our mind has wandered away from our meditation object. What we do is we gently bring our mind back again. And again and again, <laughs> without judgment. And so, please be patient and be kind to yourself when you start experimenting with bringing your practice to work. And the practices that I want to talk about tonight are mindfulness, loving kindness, and sympathetic joy practices. And let me start with mindfulness. Mindfulness practice can help us reduce stress that we face in our work life. Some of our days are filled with meetings, 
demanding phone calls and emails, projects and reports. And these persistent demands can lead to anxiety and physical tension. And stress often results when we feel threatened. For example, when we're afraid that we're not going to be able to meet our deadlines. And this in turn puts our body in a fight, flight, or freeze mode. And if the stress we experience is extreme or ongoing, what happens is that our nervous system becomes overloaded and get locked into a consistent state or a fight, flight, or freeze mode. And what this means for our body is that it is in a constant state of being flooded by the biochemistry of stress. For example, it is being bathed in the stress hormone cortisol. Let me give you an example of what happens with Hannah. Hannah was a freelance writer, a calm and self-reliant person with a job and lifestyle she loved. However, due to the economic downturn, she had to take a job at a hectic newspaper office. She feels overwhelmed every day by demanding colleagues and deadline. Sometimes she is so stressed in meetings or working on deadlines that she holds her breath and braces herself for the next crisis. Her days are packed with meetings, brainstorming sessions, and conference calls. She feels as if she is panting all the time, trying to cross the next finish line. Due to this chronic stress, Hannah begins to develop tension headaches and back pain. But she is very anxious about losing her job, and she feels that she has no choice but to live with the consequences of her toxic work environment. Well, all of us know that stress is not good for us, but what can we do about it? According to Thomas Morton, a journalist, quote, the rush and pressure of modern life are a form, perhaps the most common form of contemporary violence. We can shift from this violence into a healthy way of living, and all it takes is learning to periodically pause for a moment of mindful awareness. And I really like this quote because what it is telling us is that the first thing we can do to reduce stress is to be aware that we're stressed. And this is mindfulness in action. So for example, the next time you're facing a daunting to-do list and start to feel frazzled, what we can do is take a two to five minute mindfulness break. 
you can do this right at your desk and see if it makes a difference. And let's give this a try now. And in fact, I'm going to time it and see how long it takes us. Okay. Please close your eyes. Start by taking three deep breaths. Then relax your breathing to your natural rhythm of breathing. Scan your body for where you carry tension, perhaps in your forehead, your jaws, your fists, your shoulders, or your belly, and try to relax wherever you find tension. Maybe unfold your brows, relax your jaws, unclench your fists, lower your shoulders from your ears, or relax the knot in your belly. Do whatever you feel comfortable to regain a sense of ease. Notice how your mind starts to relax as your body relaxes. Notice with a more relaxed body and mind if it is easier to see more clearly and prioritize with more ease what needs to be done first on your to-do list. It is much easier to act on clarity, wisdom, and strength instead of stress and anxiety. Now you can work through your list in a calmer and more productive way. When you feel ready to re-engage with your work, please open your eyes. That took us three minutes, 15 seconds. Very doable, right? And of course, it is unrealistic to expect a stress-free work environment or a stress-free job. Whether it's an office, a classroom, a precinct, a hospital, or a restaurant, Every time we step over the job threshold, 
we are entering an environment filled with potential stress and uncertainty. So the question becomes, how do we face and act in the face of stress? And when we take periodic mindfulness pause or mindfulness relaxing throughout the day, what happens is we become more present with our current task, with more clarity and calmness of mind. And this in turn help us to make our decision from strength and wisdom instead of knee-jerk reactions. And so I hope you give this mindfulness relaxing or mindfulness pausing a try throughout the day. You know, before you walk into a meeting, before you answer email, or even when you walk around the block during your lunch break. Experiment with it and have fun with it and see whether it makes a difference in your stress level throughout your day and report back to me and see how it works for you. Any questions about that so far? Everybody's okay? Okay. (laughs) In addition to helping us to reduce stress, the awareness from our mindfulness practice can also help us to work through negative emotions that may arise in challenging situations at work, such as dealing with difficult boss, uncooperative teammates, or unreasonable clients. What mindfulness does is that it allows us to peel away layers of reactivity within us, and it gives us time to pause and respond if we choose to from a mind state of clarity and equanimity. Let me give you another example. Zach is an executive assistant in a boutique PR firm. The firm is doing fairly well. Unfortunately, Zach's boss is obsessed with power and she exerted her power by yelling and belittling her employees whenever she is in a bad mood. A prima donna for sure. One morning, she insulted Zach by calling him an incompetent fool in front of the entire staff, and through a report, Zach just finished repairing right at him. Zach was both embarrassed and furious. His first reaction was to plan all sorts of revenge against his boss and wishing all these terrible calamities that would befall her. Biblical plagues were too mild a punishment against this woman. I mean, frogs and locusts, you know, invading her office, you know, all that fun stuff, right? But after a while, he started feeling bad about himself. He thought, I'm such a terrible person. 
I'm so awful to wish ill on others. I can't believe I'm still angry. I'm an angry person. I have anger management problem. Notice here, neither of these reactions is helping Zach to move towards a calmer or happier state of mind. Luckily for Zach, there's a third option. He can just be aware of his anger without the filter of vengefulness or self-condemnation. And in this situation, mental noting is very helpful, such as anger, anger. And I think it is all right to feel whatever arises, because this gives us an opportunity to see things as they really are. And this in turn loosens the power the negative emotion has over our mind because we're no longer busily reacting to the emotion through all our filters of judgment, resentfulness, her feelings, whatever it is that we're reacting to. And so back to Zach. The good news for him is now he is practicing with Sharon Salzberg, a very well-known meditation teacher. And according to him, quote, sitting in meditation every day taught me that I'm much stronger than I thought I was. Learning to calmly observe my own mental tirades taught me to have much less fear about my boss's emotional outburst and moments of high drama. During meditation, I saw how mental explosions happened and how quickly they passed if I don't freak out and add my own judgment, stories, and commentaries to them. They really were just tempest in a teapot when I stopped being so afraid of them. Now I do the same thing at work. I see my boss as a tantrum waiting to happen. <laughs> I no longer live in fear of her tirades or take them personally. I know how quickly they pass. Now I sit at my desk and mind my own business. Sometimes I calm my breath to stay calm. This has changed my work life completely. And I think it is wonderful that Zach has transformed his fear to insight. He saw the impermanence of his own anger when he does not add the filters of his own judgment and stories to his own feeling. And he also saw the impermanence of his boss's anger. And so he's no longer afraid of it. And so I just thought that the mindfulness, the bare attention of just seeing the feeling without adding our commentaries, our stories, our perception, our judgment 
can really help us to deal with difficult emotions when we're in the negative emotions or difficult emotions when we're in a challenging situation at work. We can bring what we observe about our feelings during meditation to work with us. Any questions about that point? And finally, the third way we can use mindfulness as a tool to help us at work is to listen deeply and attentively. I mean, how many of us have this experience? We'll be in a meeting, a conference call, or even face-to-face conversation. And all of a sudden, we realize we have no idea what's going on. Because instead of being present for the conversation, we're so lost in our own thoughts, you know, in the past, in the future, and are thousands of miles away, and maybe in, in, in another galaxy, right? So what I want to do now is do a mindfulness a listening practice. And some of you may have done this exercise before, so bear with me. What I want to do now is please find a partner and decide who is going to go first. The first person is going to be the speaker. And the speaker will spend three minutes talking about something at work. It could be a concern, a challenge, something that is going well. And the speaker will talk for three minutes uninterrupted. And it is the second partner, the listener's job, to hold the space for the speaker. Please listen attentively without interruption, without trying to come up with a solution or offer any suggestions. You simply listen attentively and be present for your partner. And when the three minutes is up, I will ring the bell, thank your partner, and then switch role. Any questions about that? Sounds good? Okay, find a partner. (laughs) <laughs> You're right. Okay, Taskmaster, she's making us work. <laughs> okay. I can see you guys are still talking. That's a great sign. <laughs> How was the experience for you? How did it feel like to be listened to so attentively? Was it a good feeling? Yeah, <laughs> I see some not. Any sharing? Yeah, but sometimes, though, what happens is if you listen carefully and you listen till the end and you get all the information, then you may gently suggest, right? Because what happens is... Because a lot of times we listen for the first five seconds and we're already jumping in, right? And, you know, so instead, actually, listening to somebody for three minutes in this busy society, it's a long time. 
And so, but the fact that you, you know, held out for three minutes, that's good. That's admirable. <laughs> Any other feedbacks? Yes. Um, one of the things that I found very powerful and helpful is, is finding gratitude for the opportunities that come up to practice. Hmm. So rather than just saying, oh, this is a situation, this is just one more thing, this is, but, but, but that mindset of saying, oh, this is really an opportunity, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that I can appreciate that even as I'm going through it, even though, even though, you know, life goes on, the situation goes on, but, but that's part of the awareness is, is that, you know, perspective of saying, oh, this is an opportunity for practice right yes. here, right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's what I started out by saying that I really think it's like by bringing the wholesome state of mind that we're cultivating while we're meditating into workplace and see every situation as a chance to practice. And we may not get it right the first, you know, 10 times, but we eventually get better and better at it, and people notice. And pretty soon people be coming to you and say, oh, Ted, I have this problem. <laughs> yeah, so yes, thank you for uh, sharing that. Any other comments? Okay, let me f finish the talk. We're moving to the s second part. The second set of tools that I want to finish up is to talk about the loving kindness and sympathetic joy practices. Sometimes competitiveness at work can lead to resentment, envy, fear, insecurity, feeling of unfairness, or harsh judgments about others. For example, if there, there was a promotion or raise that you were expecting and you went to somebody else, it may feel as if something's been stolen from you. And so all these negative emotions may arise. And in this situation, what makes it difficult to feel pleasure or joy for somebody else's good fortune is our assumption that there just is not, isn't enough good stuff to go around. If somebody else has more, then there will be less for us. And sometimes that is the situation because for example, if we apply for the same position or the same grant, then if you get it, then I don't. But a lot of time, that is not a situation. Our current situation does not necessarily dictate the future. For example, there may be more opening available in a couple months or more grants may be available in the near future. And so this assumption of scarcity may not be best prediction for the future. And so instead of being miserable 
envious and resentful at work in having one bad day after another, we can choose happiness and compassion for ourselves by bringing loving kindness and sympathetic joy to work. This does not mean that we're blind to competition, office politics, and backstabbing. Rather, it means that we choose not to play the game and still do well at work. I believe that by choosing the road less traveled, we probably would be more successful at work when we act from clarity, integrity, and kindness. This may sound Pollyanna-ish, <laughs> but let me give you a personal example for your consideration. I was a young associate at a law, big law firm in the late 1980s. And at that time, and I think still now, life of a young associate was very competitive because a large portion of our performance was tied to our billable hours. And I was in a corporate department, so all of us want to be working on a big merger or acquisition because that was an easy way to meet our billable hours. But the problem is there were only so many of these big deals that were available, and we had no idea who the partners would pick to work on their team. And so the work environment was very stressful and competitive. And it got so bad that associates would be bad-mouthing each other in front of the partners. And instead of sharing our expertise, we became very guarded. And going to work every day was just like stepping on a set of a soap opera. And so while all these backstabbing and crazy-making were going on, I was so grateful for my Buddhist practice. I continued to do my loving-kindness practice at home and send loving-kindness to everybody at work throughout the day, such as before I step into the law firm in the morning and before I go to the meeting. And I was the only one who would congratulate another associate when he or she gets this quote-unquote plum assignment. People thought I was a bit odd, because what did I have to be happy about? <laughs> but guess what? And I still don't know how this works. Every time I took genuine pleasure in somebody else's good fortune, I always got a good assignment that I learned a lot from, and I always met my billable hours. And I'm very curious by nature, for those of you who know me. So I still experiment with this sympathetic joy thing. So like in a busy parking lot, if I see a car in front of me get a parking space, I will say, good for you, sincerely. And so eight out of 10 times, I'm not kidding, 
I don't get a parking space right away. And I'm like, wow, yes, good parking karma from Buddhist practice. <laughs> so all my silliness aside, I really think that there's so much causes and conditions that are not within our control. But fortunately, with practice, we can learn to control the state of our mind. And so but I was able to coexist with my colleagues with an open heart and share the workload with a positive attitude. And that made an otherwise stressful environment to something that was less stressful and more rewarding. And that in turn transformed my work experience into a powerful spiritual practice. And you won't believe the comments I used to get. <laughs> I, I will never forget in one of my performance interviews, one of the partners said to me, the clients really like you. Once they get over the fact that you have an accent, they realize what a good attorney you are. And I'm like, oh, I guess that's as good as a compliment as I'm going to get. <laughs> I mean, being woman and minority at the workforce, it's just, you know, great opportunity for practice, as Ted has pointed out. I'm like, <laughs> so in conclusion, I just want to remind everybody that practicing compassion and loving kindness in a competitive world is practicing strength, not weaknesses. Practicing kindness doesn't mean that we let people walk over us. For example, responding to rudeness by a colleague with a motivation and kindness doesn't mean that we let rudeness rule the interaction. Rather, what it means is that we are not caught in the downward spiral of resentment or vengefulness. We can be firm, clear, and kind without soaking up another's toxicity. As wisely stated in the Dharmapada, quote, hatred only begets hatred. By non-hatred alone does it end. Compassion gives us more inner balance so we can be very strong without angry reactions. When we respond firmly with integrity, it doesn't mean that our motive is unloving. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.